Hi, and welcome to Faith Bridges Sermon Podcast. I'm sitting down with Pastor Ken, who's about to give a message on part one of the Blessed Life in our new Blessed series. Uh, but make sure you tune in afterwards. I'm going to be sitting down with him on Postscript. Let's tune into the message now. New Year. Glad that you're here. So we're starting this new series in this new year that we're calling The Blessed Life. And so you're going to need your Bible. Go to Matthew chapter 5. And if you don't have a Bible or you never had a Bible, why don't you just wave your hand and the ushers are coming right now and they'll let you borrow one and you can even keep it if you need a gift. It's ours to you today. Matthew chapter 5. That's the first book in the New Testament and you don't be afraid to use the table of contents. Okay, so that's where we're going to go in just a minute. While you're turning there, I'll say this much. If you're a Texans fan like the word lines are, there's always next year, right? Just a few more good draft picks and maybe a trade here or there. Get a few more players around young Deshaun Watson and let him keep growing into those NFL shoes. The, the, the pundits say our future is bright, so we're holding to that. And I'll tell you this much. I'd take the Texans' problems any day over the Pittsburgh Steelers' problems. Have you been seeing that? Not only did they miss the playoffs for the first time in six years, they crashed and burned miserably at the end of the season. And there's this skirmish that's going on with one of their top players, this very gifted wide receiver who just sort of went AWOL at the end of the season, quit coming to practices, didn't come to the last game, doing his own thing, sort of like marching to the beat of his own drumming, did show up for the last game for a little while, sporting a big fur coat, and then he sort of d disappears. And my boys and I, we were watching this on ESPN, and the, the press conference, or at least part of it, they were showing with Coach Mike Tomlin, and he was hacked off. I mean, his ire was coming through the TV because one of his players was basically saying... I'm going to play on my terms whenever I want, however I want, because I'm that special. I looked at my boys and I said, boys, don't ever do what that guy is doing. Not if you want life to work well for you. Now, why do I tell you that? Two reasons. First one, it helps me feel a little bit more optimistic about the Texans' problems. <laughs> but more importantly, there is a spiritual reason. Because sometimes I meet people who say, I'm on Team Jesus, or I'm a Jesus follower, I'm a Christian, I've been born again, these sorts of things. I'm like, great, but then I get to know them or follow a little bit of what they write on social media. And I find myself saying the words of Inigo Mentoya. You keep saying that word, but I do not think you know what that word means. When you say you're a Christian, when you say you're a Jesus follower, because when I look at what our king says is our playbook, and I look at how you're living, they're not congruent at all. Maybe 
Could it be that you wanna say you're on team Jesus and maybe you even believe that you're on team Jesus, but maybe you're a little bit more like that player marching to the beat of your own drumming, sort of saying, I'll just do it when I feel like it, the way I wanna do it, because I'm that special. So I was talking to this guy, great guy, not very long ago, who said, um, Ken, I'm a Christian and I'm active in the church. Yeah, okay, okay. And he said, you know, but I just want you to understand, um, whenever I meet somebody that I want to be sexually active with, I'm going to do whatever feels good to me in that moment. I was like, okay, I got it. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but I'm thinking to myself, okay, here's the deal. <laughs> I'm not the king but I know him and I'm kind of in touch with his playbook. And last I checked, we don't get to define the terms by which we'll do the playing on his team. And lest there be you know, it mis any misunderstanding, I, I like that guy and I want that guy to get blessed. I want blessings for his life. I want blessings for my life. I want blessings for your life. I don't know any pastor who's worth his salt who wouldn't want all of his people to get blessed. I want you to get blessed financially. If you're married, I want you to get blessed in your marriage. I want you to get blessed in your job. If you're a student, I want you to get blessed in your studies. I want you to get blessed in your health and blessed in your future and blessed, blessed, blessed. But here's what I think we need to talk about a few minutes as we start this new year and this new series. Maybe, just maybe, if you're not getting blessed, maybe the problem isn't so much with God. Maybe the problem isn't even so much with your circumstances. Maybe the problem is with you. Maybe you're not getting hashtag blessed because you're just not living a blessable life right now. So when Jesus came to earth, he came to bring a new kingdom. It's called the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. In scripture, same thing. It's not a visible kingdom. It's an invisible kingdom, but it's very, very real. And <clears throat> a number of us have stepped into this kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. And subsequently, we're experiencing life and joy and a sense of purpose and, and the power of his spirit working inside of us and so. But the challenge for us with living in two kingdoms at the same time, which all of us who ever stepped into the kingdom of God, whoever got on team Jesus, we are living in two kingdoms at the same time, right? For as long as you're still here on earth until you die or until Jesus comes back, whichever one happens first, we're living in two kingdoms, and that makes it very hard for us because Jesus is saying, here's the principles of my kingdom. But the world is saying, here's the principles of the worldly kingdom, of the kingdom of earth. And they're not congruent. They don't, we try to put up that they don't fit together. Jesus came with a whole different set of principles by which he said, if you come into my kingdom, this, this is the way we do it on, on this team. This is how it works. And they're very counterintuitive. Many of the principles that come forth um, in 
um, scripture. You're like, well, what are the principles of the kingdom of God? Since you're talking about it, well, spend some time reading through the whole New Testament. You'll get the kingdom of God principles. But I'll tell you this, if you want the cliff notes, go straight to Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We call it the Sermon on the Mount because never did Jesus more clearly and concisely in one fell swoop say, this is how things work in my kingdom. Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount starts with blessings. He's talking about hashtag blessed life. He's doing it several thousand years ago. He's saying, I'll tell you eight ways. You wanna get blessed? I'm not gonna give you one. I'll give you eight ways. He's gonna say, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are you, blessed are you. He's gonna, and we call them the Beatitudes. Now the problem with the Beatitudes for many of us, and I'll even put myself in that category until rather recently when I decided I'm gonna study this a little bit more carefully than I ever have, is that as we're reading through scripture and we get to Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, particularly those first few verses, the Beatitudes, they seem confusing. They seem kind of like cryptic, almost absurd statements. And the tendency is that, and probably you've had this tendency if you've ever read the Bible before, um, you, you have probably read through them and you're like, it sounds like he's talking about eight different types of people, but if I were to be honest, I'd really hope I am never one of any of those types of people. I'd, I'd rather pass. But you have to understand, that's not what the Beatitudes are. He's not describing eight different types of people. He's describing one type of person who has these eight qualities. What's that one type of person? A kingdom person, a person who really has stepped into his kingdom, a person who's on team Jesus. They're all descriptions of that one person. The first four have everything to do with the qualifications for a person coming in to the kingdom. The first four have to do with how you come into the kingdom. The latter four have to do with a radically different altered mindset and lifestyle with which a kingdom person lives. And in this day and age where the kingdom of this world is really talking to us a lot, especially if you watch a lot of Fox News or you know, CNN News or MSNBC, you're hearing a lot of the, 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 how the laws or the principles of this world work. I think it's a good thing for us to pause and say, wait a second, I wanna understand how do the principles of his kingdom work. I don't wanna just wear the jersey and be wandering around. I really want it to mean something. So if you wondered if somebody's really stepped into the kingdom of God, don't look at their jersey. Don't even ask them, did you grow up going to church or did you walk forward in a revival or did you ever memorize the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, nothing wrong with any of those things. Just study their lives. That's all you gotta do. And you won't have to ask anything because if you'll study their lives, a real believer, a real Jesus follower, a real citizen of the kingdom, 
you will see these eight qualities shining forth in his or her life. And you'll be able to say easily, huh, he's a kingdom person. She's a kingdom person. As I said, the first four have to do with how we come into the kingdom. We're going to take two of those today, okay? <clears throat> but you've got to understand something going in. These are going to feel very, very, very counterintuitive. It's sort of like when you're learning to drive, especially if you're learning to drive in reverse, especially if you're learning to park when you're driving in reverse, right? Some of you are still learning that right now. And, and, and the challenge with it, right, is the challenge is you have to turn the wheel in the opposite direction of where you want the car to go. And that just feels so wrong, but it's the only way that it works. And so it is with the Beatitudes. They're going to feel, that just feels so wrong, to which Jesus is going to say, no, that's how it works in my kingdom. Let's look at the first, starting in Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. Now Jesus when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down and the disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Incidentally, the rabbis in those days, they would sit when they taught and the congregation would stand. And so I was thinking, why don't we just do that for the rest? Of, would you just, no, not really. So you keep your seat and I'll keep standing. He said, verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is usually about as far as most of us ever get into Beatitudes, and we're like, yep, I think I want a different devotional this year. Because you heard the word poor, and you're like, I don't want to be poor. I don't want to be poor. You know? And whatever poor in spirit is, I'm sure I don't want much of that either. You know? so, so what else could I do devotionally? I don't think I'm going to spend much time going through the, the Beatitudes. No. You got to understand what poor in spirit is. What does it mean? It means in the same way that somebody who is financially poor, somebody who is a beggar, maybe out on the corner of you know, Spring Cypress and 249, you see them holding their little signs or, or have their little bucket out or their hands out, and they're like, can you help the guy out? You know, I need help. In the same way that physically and financially a beggar is doing that, what Jesus is saying, poor in spirit, that's a person who says, Spiritually speaking, not financially speaking, spiritually speaking, God, I need your help. My hands are outraised, upstretched. I can't do this on my own. I can't fix it on my own. I'm spiritually, I'm a mess. I'm bankrupt. I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. Um, if you want the sermon in the sentence, I, I'm going to make it real easy so you can tell your mom exactly what the sermon is about if she says, what was the sermon about? Here's what the sermon is about. If you want to get blessed, admit you're a mess. Okay? Say that with me right now. If you want to get blessed, admit you're a mess. Okay? Over in Center Court West, you weren't saying it out loud. You were just watching the screens. Don't watch the screens. Say it. If you want to get blessed, admit you're a mess. Okay, that's a sermon in a sentence. You want to know what being poor in spirit is? If you want to get blessed, admit you're a mess. The poor in spirit person is the person who says, I'm broken. Apart from you, God, I have no hope. I'm sinful. Save me, Lord. Now, here's why this feels so counterintuitive. Here's why even right now, some of you are like, yeah, I don't, know, I don't like this sermon. 
And I'm gonna tell you why you don't like it because most of us were raised in this country on uh, what is called an American work ethic. You were taught, I was taught, most all of us, this is kind of how you grew up. You were taught to be hardworking, to do your best. And you would, if you did, you would surely be successful. And then you could tell other people, not braggadociously, but just in a way to be a good example, hey, if you work hard, you will get to the top. You know, look at me. I went to college. I went to graduate school. I got my master's. I got my doctorate. And I'm not bragging. I'm just saying, you know, it paid off. You know, and I became a doctor. I became a lawyer. I became a CEO. I've done this. Look at my family. I got this great family and kids. You know, they're not perfect, but they're pretty good. You know, and look at my clothes. Look at my car. Look at my house. You know, life. Life will go well. I'm not bragging. I'm just kind of saying, well, I've been blessed because I worked really hard. And the same could happen to you. That's how we're raised in America. Tim Keller calls it the problem of middle-class spirituality. What's he mean by that? Middle-class spirituality. Well, what he means by that is, is, is he's saying, most of us, you didn't grow up you know, filthy rich, but you didn't grow up in the slums either. You grew up middle class. And somebody, maybe his mom, maybe his dad, your teachers, other people, friends, you know, friends, family, parents, you know, they, they taught you. They say, son, here's how this thing works. If you will work hard, if you'll be polite, if you'll respect your elders, if you'll do what you're told to do, Life will go well for you. And where you fall short, because everybody falls short at certain points, somebody will have noticed that you were hardworking, that you were respectful, and they'll throw you a bone, and they'll kind of boost you up and over, and it'll work out all right for you, and you'll move on up. Because that's the way it works in the kingdom of earth. It's middle-class spirituality. Now, why spirituality? Because we turn around and we try to apply the principles of the kingdom of earth to the kingdom of God. And so we show up before God and we say, okay, God, I know how this thing works. I gotta be good and like really work at it. So it's a new year and I don't wanna brag or anything, but um, if you didn't notice, I am in church on the first Sunday of the new year. Okay, and it won't be my last time. Promise, you know, and and you know, or or I, I've been trying to be really nicer and friendlier, and you know, we, we kind of try to bring our achievements to God as if then He'll say, you know what, I'm just going to kind of throw you a bone because you you're really working hard at this. You're not perfect, but nobody's perfect, so I'm kind of boost you up and over because you're finally carrying your share of the load. Like this guy that I was talking to, I, I guess it was a month or two ago. Great guy. And he said to me, we were in a restaurant, he said, he, 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 he said, hey, pastor, hey. He said, hey, I want you to know, I've been coming to church a little bit more lately, and I've been really working on my language, trying to drop some of the cussing and all that stuff, and I've been being a better husband, too. I was like, awesome. Keep it up, you know? But then I realized what he was doing. He was, he was wanting me to say, you are in the kingdom. You're bringing your middle-class spirituality. So I called him on it, and I said, wait, wait a second. I don't want you to stop doing it. That, that's wonderful stuff. Your marriage will be happier, and you, you people around you will like your language better. And, you know, that's, that's great. But let me ask you something. 
Are you trying to show God how much you're taking your game up so that he will see, oh, finally, Junior is working a little bit. He's carrying his share of the load. And I think I'll throw him a bone. I'll boost him up and over. I'll say, come on in. My grace is sufficient to cover up those gaps that you just can't. You're not quite that good, but you're working hard. So I'm just going to get you up and over. Because that's not how it works in my kingdom, Jesus says. Oh, that's how it does work in the kingdom of this world. Well, how does it work in the kingdom of God? The only thing you show up with is you say, my life's a mess, God, on my own strength. If you want to be blessed, admit you're a mess. And Jesus went on and he said, I want to make sure you really understand this because I realize how counterintuitive. I mean, right now, many of you are like, I don't know about this. You know, but no, no, Jesus goes on. This is not the only time in scripture he says this. He kept saying it over and over. He would illustrate it in Luke chapter 18. He told this story. Jesus was always telling these stories to, to make his points very clear. And we don't have time to really study it, but maybe you can do that in your grow group this week or you can look at it tonight in Luke chapter 18. He tells this story to the people. He says, let me tell you about these two men. First of all, there's this Pharisee. And when you hear Pharisee, we tend to think hypocrite. That's not really what they thought back in Jesus' time. There were some that were hypocrites, but Pharisee really just meant an upstanding, very moral, uh, holy man. Somebody who was like, I'm going all in for God. I am that kind of guy. And, and many of them, they really were wanting to be the very best, you know, the goodest, the bestest person that they could be. That's what a Pharisee was. So the crowd's hearing, okay, okay, Pharisee, like a, a really, a holy man. So you got this guy, Jesus says, and on the other side of the ring, you got a tax collector. And you know, the crowd's just going, yeah, boo, hiss, because everybody knows tax collectors are bad. That's what Zacchaeus was. And tax collectors are bad because when they take our taxes, they also stick a little in for themselves and they always pad their pockets. So they always tax us too much and they're stealing. And, and they're, that's why all the tax collectors are always rich. There never was a tax collector. There wasn't a boo, hiss. And so you got the tax collector and the Pharisee. Already people are forming their opinions. They're like, okay, I think I see where you're going with this story, Jesus. And then Jesus goes on and he says, okay. The Pharisee stood up and he began to pray. Looking to heaven, he said, oh God, I thank you that I am not like these sinners. I'm not a robber, I'm not an evildoer, I'm not a thief like that tax collector. People are like, okay, we're following you. What about the tax collector? Jesus says, I'll tell you what the tax collector did. He didn't even look up to heaven. He just beat his chest, realizing who he was and what he would done and what a mess that he was and a thief and all, and he just beat his chest and he said, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's what it says in the English version, a sinner. But if you were reading in Greek, you would actually see the article is the. He's saying, have mercy on me, the sinner. Because if you say, forgive me, I'm a sinner, what you're essentially saying is, hey, well, there are a lot of sinners. I mean, I'm just kind of one of the guys, you know, but if you say I am the sinner, you're saying, I want to get blessed but my life 
is a mess. My life is. I'm, I'm not talking about other people. My life is a mess. At this point, Jesus says to the crowd, now, who do you think got ahead in that story? They're like, the Pharisee, right? Because he did fewer bad things. And Jesus says, wrong. I tell you the truth. That tax collector, that tax collector not the Pharisee, he's the one who went home justified before God for all of those who exalt himself in my kingdom are being brought low. But in my kingdom, all who humble themselves, they will be exalted. Boom, ponder that, Jesus was saying. And the people were like, oh my gosh, this is like so weird because I thought the object of the game is we're supposed to try harder and be better and do more good stuff. And, and you're saying the tax collector, just because he just said, God, I'm a sinner. My life is a mess. Forgive me, have mercy. He moved ahead. Yep. Jesus said, see, I told you, it's counterintuitive. The laws of my kingdom don't work the way the laws of the earthly kingdom. Now, I'll tell you something else that, that we tend to push back on when we hear this. You, you tend to hear this and we push back a little bit because, because especially if you've achieved some good things in life and you've worked hard and you kind of see yourself as having you know, played a reasonable role in the successes that you've had. We tend to uh, you know, look at those sorts of things and then by contrast, we look at this principle and we're like, wait, you want me to just like curl up in a little ball and grovel in my poverty of spirit and just give up any hopes or dreams that I had for maybe trying to do something helpful and great and significant for the kingdom? To which God says, no. That's not exactly it either. It has everything to do with your heart and your heart's positioning. D.A. Carson says, you might be used by God to do great things for the kingdom. Look at Gideon. Do you remember the story of Gideon? He was in the Old Testament. Again, you could look at this with your grow group this week maybe. Um, but Gideon was this guy, he was just threshing grain. He was kind of a nobody. He was like just minding on his own business, threshing grain. And one day the angel appears to Gideon and says, Gideon, you are our mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, I think you stopped at the wrong house. You got the wrong guy here because I'm the grain thresher, okay? And, and the angel said, no, we got the right guy. The reason I know we got the right guy is because you think that you're the wrong guy. He says, you are gonna be used to vanquish tens of thousands of Midianite enemy troops. Me? I don't think so. Yes, you. Could I, you know, I'm just a little afraid maybe I'm hearing things, you know, and it, I'm gonna kind of set this fleece out here. I'm just gonna ask you tonight, if this is like really you and God, you know, I need the dew to fall on the, you know, the next night he's like, okay, the dew fell only on the fleece, so tonight make the fleece dry and let the dew fall all, you know. And so he does all these tests because he's really having a hard time believing this is be true. 
And it's as if God was saying, no, see, you don't understand that. That humble, contrite spirit is exactly why you're my man. I'm going to do amazing things through you because you've created so much space for me to come in and to work. I can't work in a proud person. I can't work through a braggadocious person. I can't work through somebody promoting himself and look at all the things. I can't work with that. But Gideon, I can work with you. Now, by the way, send home a lot of your troops. All we're going to need is 300. And Gideon is like, ah, you're really blowing my circuits now. There's thousands. You want, you're going to, 300 is all you need. And sure enough, bam, God's power comes. And he works through Gideon. Why? Because his heart, the posture of his heart was right. He had a poverty of spirit. And that is the only kind of spirit God can work with. That's the only kind of spirit that God can bless. And that's the only kind of spirit you'll ever meet in the kingdom of heaven. There's no proud people in the kingdom. For it's by grace that you've been saved by faith. Not of your works, lest anyone would boast. If heaven was full of people who got there because they really pitched in and carried a lot of their end of the log, and God just boosted them up. And oh, Can you imagine how terrible heaven would be with all the bragging that would be going on? Well, let me tell you all the good things I did while I was on earth. No. There's no proud people in the kingdom. Doesn't matter what their jersey says. They're not really kingdom people unless there's a poverty of spirit. Now, I told you, this is counterintuitive. There's a guy after the first service. He was like, I'm really kind of blowing my circuits. I'm going to really have to think about that. I'm like, I know. It's, it's hard. But it's true. Um, I'll tell you somebody else who God used in great ways. Um, and that was the Apostle Paul. You remember his story? He started out a Jew of Jews or a Hebrew of Hebrews, he said he was. Because he was, he was a Pharisee. And he was trying to be a really holy man. And he thought this Christian thing, that's a bunch of cult. Uh, that's a cult. We need to kill those guys off. And so he, he was there when Stephen got stoned to death. And, and he was part of trying to get rid of the Christians. Why? Because he was trying to be so godly and so holy. But he was so proud. And then God meets him on that road to Damascus. And he goes blind for a few days and then God transforms him and he becomes a follower of Jesus. But here's the interesting thing about Paul. He never forgot who he had been in his former life. In fact, you see in Philippians 3, he says, I'm looking back and I'm looking at all the things that I did before I had Jesus and I count all those things as loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. All those things, rubbish. The original language, cow dung. It's worthless. All those things I did on my own strength. But now that I have Christ, 
and I'm in his kingdom. It's a totally different game. But you know what Paul did many times to keep himself humble? Because you get the sense that he too wrestled a little bit with, you know, I'm doing pretty good. From time to time, and you see this in some of his letters, he would actually write out who he had been. He'd write some of the things that he had done. I think there's something very freeing about owning it. If you want to get blessed, admit your life is a mess. And the only way you'll really admit it is if you get concrete and real and tangible uh, and clear about it and take your own journal. I mean, you don't have to send it into the newspaper, but, but journal it out for yourself, for you, know, you and God to, to think, you know, maybe you're right. Hey, I stepped on this person. I hurt that person's feelings. I, I broke her heart or his heart, or I've taken what wasn't mine from him or from her. I murdered that person, not physically with my words verbally and what I said about them. I'm, I've, I've insulted other people and I've um, used other people and I've envied other people and I've been greedy. And you, I mean, you, it doesn't take long. You'll be like, oh my gosh, I am a mess. I didn't realize what a mess I was. Just a few minutes and every single one of us can step into this reality. But I'll warn you, it'll make your heart heavy. It'll make you grieve. Which is why Jesus said the second beatitude. But blessed are those that mourn. Mourn what? Mourn your sin. Blessed are those that mourn because they shall be comforted. So already he's given us two blessings. You want to know how my kingdom works? If you want to be blessed, admit you're a mess. And as you admit it, you're going to have to mourn it. You're going to have to grieve it. You're going to have to look at it. You can't hide it. You can't put it under layers, multiple layers of enamel coating and say, there, that's behind me. I'm never going to look at that again. No, you have to be honest and bring it out and own it. He says, that's the only way we can move forward in my kingdom. It's called repentance getting it out in the open so that he can heal the parts of our souls that are broken. So really, you and I have a choice. It's a choice we make every single day. We can either choose to say, I'm gonna be poor in spirit, I'm gonna mourn my fallenness so that I can thrive in the kingdom and experience and feel his comfort and grace in my life. That's option A. Option B, you can pay a therapist and go every week for 20 years and have them tell you, you're really an okay person. You're really okay, I'm telling you. But if you really believed that, why do you keep having to go back the next week so that he or she can tell it to you again? You know deep down, I'm not really okay. Why don't you just own it and admit I am a mess and mourn it and step into the life that Jesus came to give you the blessed life of comfort in his kingdom. Blessed are those that mourn for they, they're the ones who will be healed and restored and resurrected to walk in newness of life. So a month or two ago, I was at the football fields with one of the boys who was playing, and I got talking to a lady, nice lady, and said, how are you? Well, I'm, 
irritated, frustrated. Oh, well, you don't get that every day. I think, well, the boys are playing pretty. No, it's not about the boys. Well, what are you frustrated? Well, I'm frustrated because I have a couple of friends and, and just some things that they've done, and they say that they're Christians, and, but it's, it's wrong, and it's confusing, and kind of making me bitter at it. I'm having a hard time forgiving them. I'm like, oh, I can see why. After a moment of silence, she looked at me and she said, wait a second, if, if I'm having a hard time forgiving just a couple of friends, how do you, you, you probably know hundreds of people, she said, Pastor Ken, you probably know hundreds of people and you probably know all the scoop on a lot of the people and how do you forgive all those people? And I said, that's a great question. And I got the answer for you. I said, it's not hard. Anytime I'm in that crossroad, all I got to do is remind myself of who I am. I'll just say, God, search my heart. I know I'm not all that. And just like clockwork, he'll bring to mind a memory, maybe even from that day where I hollered out and snapped and got impatient at one of the boys or Suzanne or, or said something rude to somebody or, or about somebody or, or carried a lustful thought in my heart lengthily and I shouldn't have. It doesn't take long for me to come right back down to level ground and remember, yeah, you're, you got your own issues. But that's not the only thing that I ponder. That's not the only thing I reflect on. I said I also reflect on the gospel. The reminder that God seeing me, seeing us in our sin, he didn't kick us to the curb, but rather he said, I'm going to rescue you. And he sent us his son, Jesus, our savior, who would live the life of sinless perfection that none of us could live so that he could die the death of punishment that all of us deserved, so that he could rise triumphant from the grave, connoting to all of us, if you will link yourself to me, not just in name, not just wearing a jersey, but really following me, you too will have life. I said to her, so really it's the only people who, who aren't very good forgivers are the people who haven't remembered or maybe never knew how much in Christ they've been forgiven themselves. I want you to be blessed this new year in 2019. Jesus wants you to be blessed. He's saying, hey, I'm starting the sermon talking about blessings. We're going to get to some other stuff, but let me tell you these eight things. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that mourn their sin, because then I can comfort them. Now, before we pray, I want us to do something a little different, a little unique for the, the new year. I want you to pull out this little card. We're calling it a, a declaration of dependence, okay? And if you shared a, a, a bulletin with your spouse or your friend or whoever you came with, you're, you kind of have to have your own. So the ushers are coming right now and they're gonna pass, you just, just raise your hand and they'll, they'll, they'll pass out one to you. And you need a pen as well. 
Because when we were planning the service last week, we were just saying, you know, it feels like it could be very meaningful if we were to kind of mark the moment and, and, and just sort of try to make actionable our desire to step into the fullness of life that Christ came to offer us. And, and so we just wrote out this declaration of dependence because that's really what he's talking about here, Right? Uh, uh, deepens. I see a few hands over there on that side, ushers. Um, and he's talking about deepen. And see, in America, we're so good at declaring our independence. It's the principles of this world. He's saying, no, not my kingdom. Read it out loud with me. In both rooms, let's read. I own my sinfulness and grieve my brokenness on this first Sunday of 2019. I commit the path that leads to real and abundant life. I know that I cannot do this on my own. And so to, today I declare my dependence on God. I'm gonna let you sign that. You can take it home. You can put it in your bathroom or in your Bible or wherever. But let me, <laughs> I know what's going on. And some of you right now, and some of your spirits right now, I can just feel it coming through the air. Some of you are like, ah, See, it's this sort of thing that makes me hate church because this is the stupidest, dumbest, cheesiest thing. I'm not going to sign some little, okay, 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 fine, 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 fine. But just stay with me one second more. Be honest, just be honest. If that's what you're feeling, mightn't it be because just less than an hour ago, the two of you were, yelling at each other when you pulled up to church till you parked and got out your car and you said, oh, bless God, you know, we're at church. <laughs> you fooled the rest of us. Do you really think you fooled him? Some of you were, you were looking at porn in the last 12 hours. Some of you, you've, you've, you've relationally, you've let yourself get involved, maybe emotionally, maybe physically with another person that you're not married to. Your life is, you're like, if you're honest, if you're honest, just, just saying, would you be honest? You'd have to say, my life is a mess. Or maybe your life's a mess financially just because you've been impulsive or irresponsible. I could keep going, but look, here's the deal. My job, I felt like the Lord said, my job today is not to break you. I can't break you. My job isn't even to get you to break yourself. All I, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to do is just invite you to own reality. Just to bring reality to bear on who your life is. Just to own it. Just to say, I want to get blessed and my life is a mess. It, but look, here's the deal. Some of you, I, I know that this is going on. Some of you, even now, you're still bristling, you're, you're, you're wrestling, but you know what he says here. You know this is true. Here's how, here's how. Just ask yourself. Just be honest with yourself. You don't have to say it to anybody. Just be honest to yourself and ask. When I bowed up proud in spirit, 
taking control, telling them the way it is, giving them a piece of my mind, doing what I wanted to do. Did that ever get you blessed? No, it never, you know this. I'm not telling you anything deep down that you already don't know. You know this. So all I'm saying is, why don't we step into the new year together transparently and honestly and owning it? Because I want for you to have the blessed life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, the simplicity of these statements. Really, when we study them, they make all the sense in the world. They're very counterintuitive when we first meet them, and they have such a sense of incongruence with the way the world works, but the more we live in them, the more we step into them, the more we realize, wow, the laws of the kingdom do work differently, and it works better. God, help us as we continue to, to navigate what it's like to be dual citizens, citizens of this world and citizens of heaven at the same time until someday we die or until you come back and then there's only one kingdom. And, and so, Lord, I just pray your blessings on each person here that at the very least, even if they don't want to sign the little deal right now, at least, at least, at least, that, that maybe this week, maybe at their office or just when they're alone or eating lunch or something, they would say, you know what? I want to get blessed. My life is a mess. And that they just own it so that they could step into life, the fullness of your kingdom, the power of your comfort, the presence of your spirit infusing and filling them and carrying them along. That's my prayer for each person here today. And I pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Hi, and welcome to Postscript. I'm Tyler Riley, high school pastor here at Faith Bridge, and I'm sitting down with Pastor Ken Werlein, who just gave a great message on part one of the Blessed Life in our new Blessed series. So, Ken, thanks for joining us. Uh, we do have some people who sent us some questions, so I figured we could just jump right into it. Awesome. Well, the first is, is more of a thought uh, that maybe you can elaborate on. It says that social media puts the blessings of the wicked out there on display. Maybe the nub of it is that we must change our perspective and definition of blessing. Yeah, thoughts? well, absolutely. Because, and that's what I was trying to sort of juxtapose the, the ways of the world, the ways of the kingdom, the laws or the principles of the world, the principles and laws of the kingdom, because they are definitely different. The problem or the challenge is that we're bombarded every day with the realities of the world. Social media, if you watch news cycles over and over, it just keeps coming, coming, coming. And that feels so much more real to us than the kingdom of God. That's why it's so important for us to say, you know what, I'm going to turn that stuff off. I've got to step into what is really real and eternal. I need to some, spend some time with God. I need to read his word. I need to meditate on it and ponder it and pray about it and journal about it and, and metabolize it. Why? 
because you don't stand a fighting chance if you don't ever look at that and you're just letting the world bombard you with all these messages. It will seem like that is the only way to get ahead. And that is my concern, even part of the genesis of this series, is that there are a lot of Christians who I think are letting the world bombard them too much that they're like, okay, I'm seeing how this thing is played. They're like, wait, 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 wait. That's why we kind of felt like, no, no, we need to go back and remind right. ourselves, what, how does the kingdom person, you don't get to just put on the jersey and do what you want. How does the kingdom person live? How does the kingdom person think? Um, and so it is. Yeah. Uh, it is an altogether different way. Yeah, that's great. Um, and then kind of moving into the next question, uh, sim similar to that. So what happens when uh, you're doing all the things, quote unquote, right, but it still seems you're not being blessed, uh, similar to the story with Job? Sure. Or I don't know what the details there are, but let's just assume that there's some suffering. Mm -hmm. Because it sounds kind of like a suffering right. question. You know, why do bad things happen to good people? That sort of deal. Um, I think probably the, the word here is perspective. Wait, are you, and who are you comparing against? Because if you have really stepped into the kingdom and you've experienced and are experiencing his comforting grace, and you have eternity ahead of you with him, not in hell, with him, um, in streets of gold and mansion, you know, on and on, on. If you've got that, then the reality is you are blessed. Now, what we want is we want the short-term blessing. Right. I want the marriage, or I want the marriage to be good or I want more money, or I want the job. That's the blessing I want now. Well, see, we don't get to define that. And Job certainly, his life illustrates that. There is suffering and there is pain in the world. And if all that we're ever doing is comparing to the next person, we'll be totally frustrated mm -hmm. because there's always going to be somebody who has it better than we are, are having it. But there's also people who are having it worse. And this right. is why we have to go back and just say, wait, 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 wait. Let's frame this in the context of eternity. A hundred years from now, 200 years from now, am I blessed? Yes, I'm blessed. Do I wish it would be easier right now? Sure. Yep. You know, and sometimes the Lord surprises us and we get a little blessing along the way. Uh, using that word in a casual sort of way that feels more convenient or immediate. And so, you know, praise the Lord for those. But if we're only holding our breath until those come and not willing to take the longer perspective, then we will be perpetually frustrated. Right, right. Uh, well, we do have one final question. Uh, when it comes to forgiving friends and family, is there a point when you feel like it's time to detach yourself from these people? Or do we keep surrounding ourselves with them and keep forgiving? Well, uh, yes and no, I think. Yes, we have to keep forgiving. Jesus said how many times? 70 times 7. In other words, just ongoingly. But 
keep forgiving is not the same thing as keep surrounding. Mm -hmm. um, are there times when perhaps uh, you know, in an abusive relationship or you know, I don't know, whatever, uh, the situation that we have to set a boundary? Absolutely. Does that mean that we're not being forgiving? No, if you are making those two synonymous, then we need to iron out the difference. Forgiving is letting the person off your meat hooks and saying, hey, I'm releasing you. I'm not denying that you did it. I hope that you don't deny that you did it uh, or you know that you've hurt me or whatever, but I'm gonna release you. Why? Because I'm aware of things that I've done wrong. And I'm aware of the, the amazing grace and mercy that God has shown me. So I, I was yeah. kind of trying to illustrate with the lady I was talking to on the football field. How do you forgive? Well, I just remember how much grace I've been shown, and I need it because mm -hmm. I can be all those things on any given day if I'm in the flesh and not walking in the spirit. But does that mean, especially if there was abuse or something, that, that I got to keep going? No, doesn't mean that means I can forgive, but I can also, and might need to, say, but until this behavior uh, changes, you know, I, I can think of parents of little children who maybe a grandfather or grandmother is, you know, has an alcohol problem or verbal abuse problem. They're like, hey, you know, we've gone through the process, um, and I really feel like I have forgiven them. I hate that they were that and that they are that. And, but I know I'm not all that, and God's forgiven me. And so I, I really think I have let them off the meat hook. I've released them. But I'm not going to just put my kids right. right in that dynamic. I don't think there's, I think that's responsible. I think that that is wise to keep that boundary in the hopes that maybe that person will repent and come to their senses and say, but I want to see my grandkids well, you're going to have to change something yeah. and get yeah. serious about that and take responsibility. For yeah. it. It's kind of the, what the Apostle Paul uh, was instructing, wasn't it, in Corinthians, that uh, somebody was put out of the church. Does that mean that, that we're not forgiving? No, no, no. We, we forgive them. We, we forgive everybody. Why? Because we've been forgiven so much. But we're going to put them out of the church. Why? In hopes that they'll wake up and realize, whoa, I don't like being, I want to be in. Okay, well, that's up to you. We love you, we forgive you, but you're going to have to change some things, yeah. and something's going to have to soften inside your own soul. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I've never thought about that difference between forgiving and surrounding. Mm -hmm. um, it's really good. Well, that's all the questions that we have. I'm excited for part two. Uh, thanks for sitting down with me today, and thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.